Thanks, Haley and band, and uh, thanks for your testimony and that song, that a powerful song with powerful words. So I had this moment yesterday. I had to go to Louisville, Kentucky to do a wedding that had been on the schedule for a while, one of my last commitments uh, for Louisville. And so I, I left early yesterday morning, was driving down, round 465, I-65 South. It was a beautiful morning. The sun was just starting to come up. Uh, just noticing all of the trees and the color of leaves and everything. And I had this moment when I looked off to my left, and there on the side of the road was this sign. And it was such a, a powerful moment for me that I almost felt like I needed to pull off to the side of the road and, and, and burst into a chorus of worship and maybe write in my journal a little bit. And it was this sign that just simply said, gas for $1.99. <laughs> It was an awesome moment, you know. I never really thought I would ever see that day again where, where gas would dip just below two bucks. And on my way back, I wasn't able to make it quite all the way to that $1.99 station. And my, my, my sights were set on it, but I did find gas for two oh nine, and I filled up my little Corolla for 22 bucks. And it was a, it was a great day. You got to love it when things like that happen, you know, because it's all about money, isn't it? You know, everything's been about money. Gas is about money. You know, we're always focused on money, and we've been talking about money for the last couple of weeks. And if today's your first time here at Genesis, and maybe you've been away from church for a while, and you walk in, you're like, wow, they're talking about money. Last time I was at a church, they were talking about money. Well, we don't talk about money every week. In fact, this is the last week. We'll probably talk about it for a while, but we believe it's a pretty relevant issue, especially with what's going on in the economy right now. And so for the past couple of weeks, we've talked about money, and so we'll wrap up this teaching today. But as we've gone through this series on money, I've wondered if it's possible that there have been some of you that have walked away on any given week feeling a little guilty, you know, and maybe walked away and thought, well, I guess, you know, I won't be buying that boat next spring, or, you know, where I guess we'll, we'll not get the granite, you know, countertops or whatever. Well, I want you to know that's not the point. You know, the point of the series is not guilt. You know, the point of this series is for you to, to not be able to step back and to look how you spend your money and feel guilty about what you're doing. It, it's, it's just an idea. It's a plan. It's, we're going to God's Word to, to look at what's God's design for the way that we spend our money and what is He asking of us as we give and what is He promising to do in our lives as we give. And we believe that the Bible teaches that we can give generously, that we can save responsibly, and that we can enjoy what God has blessed us with. And so we're doing this series, it's just simply called 10, 10, 80. That we, we can get ourselves on a plan, that we can have this practice in our life where we give the very first 10% of every, week, uh, every uh, paycheck that we get to God and to His work in this world, that we can set aside at least 10% into some sort of savings account and then live off of 80%. Uh, it's a plan of God's design. And so to demonstrate that this morning, um, I have a couple of pizzas here with me. And we're going to just be talking about spending today and what it means to spend practically and to spend wisely. And so I have a couple of frozen pizzas that I cooked last night. And so they don't look real great this morning. I'm not going to lie and I'm not going to pretend to be uh, you know, on the Food Network here or whatever. But I want you to think of one of these pizzas, all right, as your income as a family, for one month. You all know what pie charts are and all that good stuff. And so let's just pretend that this pizza, this Tony's pizza that comes in a box, uh, it's all this natural food right here, that all of this <laughs> represents your income for one month and what it looks like when we spend some of that money. And we all know that a pretty good slice of everything that we make each month goes to housing. 
all right? We all need a place to live. And so, I, I'm just going to kind of try and dish this out without cutting my finger off. And if, and if I do, somebody just go to the phone and, and, uh, and call the hospital or something. But uh, it's the, the, the statistics say that we spend anywhere from 25% to even 50% a month of our income on housing. And so, I, I'm just going gonna, gonna to go to 40% and believe that there are probably quite a few people out there that spend up to 40% a month of their income on housing. And so we dish out that first slice to anyone who's brave enough uh, to come up here and eat it. And then there are cars. And the average American today spends $378 a month on a car payment. And it's possible that some people have two car payments. And so you're paying double that. You're paying over $600, over $700. And so I'm going to dish out a couple of slices here of our financial pie, our financial pizza for car payments and, and just kind of set this off to the side. And then there are credit cards. And we all know that the visa bill can get pretty high and, and visa wants to be paid every month. And whether you pay the minimum payment, we'll just say minimum payment, you know. Uh, maybe your money's pretty wrapped up right now and so we'll do minimum payment on, on credit cards. And then there's other things like taxes. You know, the tax man wants to get paid. Utilities, they're talking about utility prices with gas especially being very high this winter. Uh, there are all those other expenses uh, you know, the, the, the just cost of keeping up the home, paying for insurance and all that good stuff. And then kids, and I've got three of them, and so that gets pretty expensive. And so I better do a pretty good chunk here of my financial pie towards all of those miscellaneous types of things. And then beyond that, there's still entertainment and stuff. And, you know, hey, we all like to fun, all have fun. We like to go out to eat. You like to take a vacation. You like to go to the movies once in a while. And so we need to figure into this that there are those miscellaneous expenses that we have. And then here's what happens as we take a look at our monthly expenditures is that we've, we've diced out all this money, and then we come to the leftovers, and we think, okay, God, now your portion. And, you know, it's not as if you're even being irresponsible. I mean, everybody needs a house or a place to live. We need shelter. We need cars. You know, we have to pay the tax man. We've got to pay all these bills. And so sometimes you get to the end of the month, and you're just running on the leftovers. And, you, you know, so the offering bag comes by, and you throw a 20 in the bag, and you say, you know, God, I'd love to give more, but I, but I just can't do it. And, and here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that if our financial pie represents our income, that God wants us to enjoy it. He wants us to be free in it. He wants us to be able to spend freely and to not feel that we're, you know, under bondage uh, in any sort of a way uh, whatsoever. And so God's design for us as followers of Jesus Christ is that every month when you get paid, and whether you get paid once a month or twice a month, that you dig into that pizza that, that you have, you dig into that financial pie, that financial pizza, and you just from the very start say, God, here's what I'm going to do at the very beginning of this month. I'm going to give you your portion the 10%, the first fruits that you've talked about in the Scripture, and I'm going to give that to you. And then here's what God does for us. He says, great, now that you've done that, I'm going to give you the rest to live off of. And so faith happens at the beginning, and that's what God's asking of us. He says, you know, I want you to have faith at the beginning that if you give to me, that I will take care of all the rest instead of ending with faith, ending in such a way that, well, let me get through the entire month first and see if by chance... All of this just happens to work out. When we give our first 10 to God, we're left with a pretty large pizza, a pretty large pie that God allows us to decide how to use. It's God's gift to us. It's freedom. There's no guilt attached to it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, 
command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. Are you putting your hope in wealth right now or are you putting your hope in God? Which, what does the Bible say, is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That when we give to God, what God has promised to us is that I will take care of all of your needs. I will bless you with more than you could ever hope or imagine for. And I will take care of everything else. And then I want you to enjoy it. Enjoy life. Live within your means. And we need to talk about what it means to live within our means. And what happens if we give our first to God, the first 10% then how do we appropriately take care of the rest of it, the 90% or even the 80%? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Go to the New Testament and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 this morning. We're going to be talking about just how do we spend our money? How do we live off of that 80%? And just some simple, uh, practical principles of wisdom. I'm getting all caught up in my words here, but that's the question. How do we spend our money? So we're going to look at the story of the prodigal son this morning in Luke chapter 15, and it's a parable that you're familiar with. Uh, It's not a parable about money. It's a parable about grace. It's a parable about forgiveness. Uh, It's a parable about God and how good He is and how He welcomes us back and, and as a loving Father. But at the same time, there are a number of life lessons for us in this parable when it comes to our finances. And so in Luke chapter 15, the story begins this way. Verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So notice what the son did. He he didn't want to wait for what was coming to him. He wanted what he wanted, and he wanted it right now. And a lot of us have gotten into trouble with our spending at times because we see something that we want and we want it right now. You know, I want that shirt and so I'll get it. Or I want that TV. I want that car. I want that house and I want it right now. And right here in Scripture, there's a warning uh, from, that, from Scripture when it comes to spending. And the first warning is just simply this. It's just be willing to wait. Be willing to wait. And we know this, and and all the marketing today in in our economy or in life is geared towards fighting against this. You know, it's called instant gratification. You know, consider these phrases, 90 days, same as cash, buy now, pay later, sign and drive today, no payments until 2047, you know? Or how about this? A recent report showed that one-third of graduating high school seniors today have credit cards, that 50% have cards by the time they are freshmen in college, and of those, 82% have more than $1,500 in debt on their credit card by the time they're sophomores. And the average student is graduating from college today upside down financially, and this doesn't even take into account tuition bills. Or here's another typical example. A young couple gets married, all right, you move into a house, and all you've got is grandma's ugly couch and a couple, this, 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 this piece together kitchen set from garage sales and all these various people. And so you need to fill up the house. You need to get the house started. And so you go to Ashley Furniture and you open up a credit card and you throw $5,000 down on brand new furniture. And the couple, they don't even have $5,000, but they figure to themselves, hey, if we pay it off over five years at an aggressive interest rate of 18%, it's only like $127 a month. You know, we can work that into our budget, no problem. So the young couple pays it off over a five-year period, but here's the problem. 
by the time that couple pays off that $5,000 over a five-year period at 18% interest, they will have paid $7,500 for furniture, for $5,000 worth of furniture. Then you turn around and you do the same with the video camera and the TV and the computer and the kitchen appliances. And before long, do you know what happens? A majority of the 80% that you have to live off of is going towards interest. It's going off things that you don't even have. The there are these economists at MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and they've discovered that when you use a credit card, you will spend twice as much as you would spend if you were spending with cash. They have discovered that when you spend a dollar, psychologically, you've convinced yourself that you're really only spending about 50 cents. And so you tend to spend more. Now, has this ever happened to anyone? You get your credit card bill in the mail. You open it up and you immediately look at the statement and it's like, wow, this is like double what I thought it was going to be. The MIT economists, smart people, all right? They know what they're talking about here. The point is this, we would do well to wait. We would do well to, to put off the purchase, you know, and before making a hasty purchase, you know, take a couple of days to look at the numbers, you know, to check out the other bargains, you know, make sure it's something you really need. You know, we tend to get ourselves in trouble when we're not willing to wait. And so here in this story, in Luke chapter 15, we meet this young man who doesn't want to wait. He wants his money, and he wants it right now. And what does he do with this money? Look at verse 13. It says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Now, I have no idea what in the world squandered means, okay? But it's obviously not very good. He took everything that he had. The Bible says wild living. He, he basically he blew it. He took all of this money that was due to him that he demanded at this time rather than after his father would pass away. He wanted to spend this money and he wasted it. And here's what I think we can learn from this. And that is, you know, not only should we be willing to wait, but I think we also need to discipline our desires. We need to discipline our desires. Proverbs chapter 27 says, human desires are like the world of the dead and there's always room for more. You know, we think we can somehow control this urge in us for more. You know, we think if, if I get this raise or if I'm able to get this one ticket item, you know, that will be enough. But it doesn't work that way. And so we accumulate and we accumulate. And then you move and you're like, how in the world did we get so much junk? You know, my wife, she was on Craigslist yesterday. She was telling me and just kind of doing some shopping and looking at various things. And uh, she found this site where there was a lady who was selling some of her children's toys and she wrote in the description, we're cleaning out, we've got to make room for Christmas. I mean, what's wrong with that picture when you think about it? You know, that we just, we accumulate and we accumulate and we need more and more. You know, there's one word today that gets a lot of people in trouble. It's this word, upgrade, all right? How many of you, how, for you, that, that's, a, that's a difficult word. That word gets you in trouble. We got any uh, upgrade people? A few up here in the front row. See, they're even willing to sit in the front row. They know it's a problem, all right? Well, you know, you go to rent the Chevy Malibu at the airport, and they offer the Trailblazer for $20 more a day. Or for $100 more, you can upgrade to first class. Fast food restaurants sell the supersize for $0.50 cents more. Or why buy that computer when you can get the bigger computer for another $199 or the five-year warranty for $200 more? And you get caught up into believing with some of these deals that if you pass it up, it's almost like you'll be committing a crime. You know, I, I can't let this slip by. I, I've got to take advantage of this great deal, this great bargain. Well, there are all these different kinds of upgrades, and, and it can kind of get out of hand. But if I was reading about a bottled water company. 
I've got a picture of it for you. It's called uh, Bling H2O, all right? Bling H2O, it's just water, okay? I promise you, it's just bottled water, but it comes in a really cool bottle. Listen to their, their tagline here. Here's what it says. If, more than a pretty taste, Bling H2O is pop culture in a bottle. It's not for everyone, just for those who bling. Ordinary water is for ordinary people, but for those who have a taste for finer things, Bling H2O may be the perfect thirst quencher. This bottle of Bling H2O runs for about $50. They have bottles that go as high as $480, all for a bottle of water. You like that? I got another one for you. Toilet paper, all right? This is Renova toilet paper. It's black. You can get it in all sorts of colors. Here's the ad. Elegant, sophisticated, rebellious, alternative, and eternally fashionable. Black toilet paper is synonymous with chic and style. Why waste your time with so last season two-ply white when you can treat your cellulite-free gym tone tush to stylish black? All right? A two-pack of this, 15 bucks, all right? That's what I call flushing money down the toilet, all right? That's for you. And we can get caught up into this. You know, we pass on the $15 shirt for the $75 shirt because of the cool little logo in the corner. There's this best-selling book. It's called The Millionaire Next Door. And it says that the average millionaire buys his suits or her suits off the rack, purchases and drives used cars, and shops at stores like Sears. The majority of millionaires make about $100,000 a year and live well below their means. How do they do this? They discipline their desires. They tone it down a little bit. And I don't think it should be our drive, every one of us, to become millionaires, but I think we would do well to do the same, to discipline our desires. Back to the text, verse 14. It says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he spends everything, and next there's a severe famine that hits the land that he had no control over. He's in need. He's tanked. And he's got nothing left. And I think the lesson that we can learn here is that it's important to reserve some of your resources. You know, we talked about the importance of savings last week and putting some money aside in an emergency fund or a savings account, putting money aside for the future for a long-term investment. And when it comes to, to spending, you know, we should set aside some of our resources. Don't blow through the 80%. And then hope for the best because sometimes the unexpected comes. And for this son, there's a famine in the land and he didn't know it was coming. And I think probably we, we, if we were honest, and there are some exceptions, that in this room, most people are probably making maybe more than what they were making 10 years ago. And here's the question to ask yourself. Are you giving more because of what you're making? Are you spending more? because of what you're making? Are you saving more because of what you're making? Because we get caught up into believing that the whole problem is really just an earning problem. You know, we say to ourselves, if I could make just this much more, then I would start saving and I'd start giving and being more responsible in the way that I spend with my credit cards. But if you aren't willing to make adjustments and begin doing something about it now, chances are that you won't be interested in doing anything about it later, even if you're making more. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 11 says, As goods increase, so do those who consume them. 
And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? So the more money you have, the more that we tend to spend. Scientists have actually coined a term for this. It's called hedonic treadmill. And here's the idea. When we make a significant purchase, when, we've been, when we get something that we've been wanting, when your salary goes up, we immediately adjust to it. We immediately adjust to the raise and we start thinking about the next purchase or we start thinking about the next raise. It's the hedonic treadmill. And the truth about treadmills is that you're, you're never going anywhere on them. You're always just in one place. And so if we're going to move forward, if we're going to get to a better place in our finances, if we're going to discover financial freedom, we've got to think about the future. And we've got to set some funds aside and plan appropriately for the future. This man in Luke chapter 15 he didn't do that, and he found himself upside down financially. He came to a place where he was nothing but desperate, and he knows that he's going to need to make some changes, that life can't continue like this. Look at verse 15. It says, so he went out and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And so what has he done? He's immediately made some lifestyle changes. He's tanked. He's completely bottomed out, and so he goes from the good living, and now he has resorted to feeding pigs. And the truth is that when it comes to your financial life, some of you need to do a better job of acknowledging the reality of your situation, whether it was your choice or not. And let's be clear on this, not opening bills is, is not a good financial plan, you know? Or, or just choosing to not look at them or pretending like everything is okay is not a financial plan. Proverbs 27 says that the prudent see danger and they take refuge. They see what's coming. They see the road ahead of them and they make adjustments accordingly. And so for the prodigal son, he's resorted. He's given himself over to this humiliating job of feeding pigs. And it would have been easy for him to come from a pretty well background to say, you know what, I am greater than that. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to find other ways of making money. I will not allow myself to go through this at all. Have you ever seen the movie Dumb and Dumber? You know that movie? Great movie. Uh, Jim Carrey uh, plays, uh, plays Harry in the movie, comes home. He's been looking for a job all day. He's been out of work. And Lloyd says, well, did you have any luck today? And he says, yeah, right, unless you want to work 40 hours a week. You know, he's having no luck looking uh, for work at all because he's not willing to accept or acknowledge the reality of the situation. Hope you like that little comedy bit right there. So we, I, we do well to, to acknowledge and to humble ourselves of our situation, but, but let, let's be true for a second. It's hard to do. I mean, when you finally just allow yourself to go to the kitchen table and to sit down, whether it's by yourself or with your spouse or with your other family members, and acknowledge that, hey, we're going through a rough time right now, and things have to change. It's hard to sit down and to acknowledge, you know, maybe some poor decisions in the past. It's hard to change course. It, it might not be easy to start giving. It might not be easy to save. It might not be easy to change habits and to get on a budget. But while the first step might be the most difficult, it is also the most important. Because if you're not willing to take the first step, you're never going to get anywhere. And if you don't take that step now, chances are you never will. Verse 17, 
It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starved to death. I love the words here in this text that he came to his senses. I like that. I mean, he knew he was at the very end. He had completely bottomed out. He acknowledged the reality of his situation and he realized that there had to be a better way to live. And then in verse 18, I will set out, he said, and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he comes to his senses. He realizes that there's a change that needs to take place. And look what he does next. He develops a plan. He puts a plan in place where he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up from where I am right now. And I'm going to take the first step, which is the most difficult. And I'm going to go back home and I'm going to work for my father, and I'm going to get myself out of this mess. What what can we take from this? It's just to develop a plan. No matter where you are in your financial situation right now, that you believe that it's possible that you can move to a better place, but in order to do that, you'll have to have a plan. Because God, and hear this, because this is the most important truth, God does not want you to live in financial bondage. Let me say it again. God does not want you to live in financial bondage. It's never been his plan. He's all about freedom. He's all about freedom in every aspect of our life. And that's what God wants to do for us. And I'm not saying that he wants everyone to be millionaires either, but God wants you to be financially free. He doesn't want you to be a slave to money. Proverbs chapter 27, verses 23 and 24 Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. And so the question is, what is your condition right now? Are you willing to acknowledge the reality of your situation, the condition that you're in, and believe that you can get to a better place to come up with a plan? to get onto some kind of budget and to stick with it, to to set out to make a change this week. You know, don't wait, but get started today. Give the first 10% of what you make to God and to His work that He's doing through this church. Take 10% of what you make and, and set it aside, put it into some sort of savings account or to some sort of savings plan, and then enjoy living off of the 80% that God has blessed you with and hang tightly to the promise from the book of Malachi when God says, if you give to me your first, I will open up the storehouses of heaven and bless you in such a way that you won't even be able to count it. That God has made that promise. So make some adjustments to live within your means so that you can live off of those remaining funds and still enjoy life too. And there are some great resources out there that can help you in this. If you go to crown, C-R-O-W-N dot org. Crown is a a financial ministry. There are free resources that you can download off of their website that can help with budgeting and other things, Uh, great tools and resources. As we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, uh, one week from this Tuesday night, November 11th, we're going to be starting a 13-week program here called Financial Peace University that many, how many of you from, again, from our church have gone through this? All right, quite a few around the room. We're going to hear from a couple in just a second that's gone through it. It's a great opportunity uh, to learn from Dave Ramsey, an excellent uh, financial leader, a Christian who just talks about God's design for money and how you can get yourself out of debt and enjoy financial freedom. We've been talking about the fact that it's a $99 commitment to do this. Here's what I'm excited to tell you this morning. And again, this is just a sign of God's uh, working and great people in our church and great generosity available. 
I'm pleased to tell you that thanks to this generosity of several families in our church, if you want to take Financial Peace University and you're willing to make the commitment to go through it, it will be of no charge to anyone uh, in our church, and, and we can probably uh, look to some people outside of this church as well who would be interested in that. All you need to do, again, we'll talk about this in a second, there's a brochure in your bulletin today. When you fill that brochure out today and leave it uh, at the counter, one per family, we only need one per family, you're signing up for financial peace, you'll get all the materials in the 13 week of study here on Tuesday nights, and it's of no charge at all, uh, thanks to the generosity of some of the people in our church, which we're we're very grateful for. So sign up today. And we can talk with you more about that. But take this idea of 101080 home with you. Uh, we've been giving out these stickers over the last few weeks. They're just reminders. You can do whatever you want with them. I know some people are wearing them on their shirt. Great thing. I don't know if you can really read it very well if it's on your shirt. Maybe some of you have ended up with them on your back uh, even and then a kick me sign too. But, uh, you know, this is just a great reminder to put throughout your home in different places. It just reminds you, hey, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to get on a plan. I believe that there's a better way that God has great things in store for me. Uh, do this with your kids too. You know, what a, what a great practice right now, even with your young children, to start getting them into this practice of giving and saving and spending. But there's one warning in that, moms and dads. If you're going to do that with your children, you better be willing to do it too. Don't ask your kids to make any sacrifices that you're not willing to make. Uh, yourself. But, but make it a practice. Develop a plan. Act on it. That's what the prodigal son does. Let's look how the story ends before we wrap up here. Verse 20. It says, so he got up and went to his father. Notice that he doesn't wait. You know, he doesn't say, wait till I get to a better financial situation, or wait till I'm able to get out of some of this debt, or wait till I'm finally able to remodel the kitchen first, and then I'll be financially responsible. No, he starts immediately. And then it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And so the son comes to this place where he has nothing. He's made a mess of his life. And he comes back home. And what does he find? He finds the same thing that all of us find. That God is a God of grace. That God is a God of redemption. And that God is a God of forgiveness. And he meets this father who's willing to run to him and embrace him. You know, God is good. And I just want you to know this morning that if you desire to make a change in your life, that I believe that the God of heaven will come alongside of you and he will give you the strength and the wisdom that you need to do those things that you hope to do. And what the son did, we can do too. No matter what kind of mess we're in, whether it's a financial mess or even if it's just a mess that you've made with your life. We see a picture of God the Father here in this story, that when we're willing to come back to Him, that He will always receive us back, and He'll forgive us, and He'll celebrate our return. And so you can come to this place too, like this son, where you say, I'm going home, and I'm going home right now. 
You know, it's interesting as we talk about money. The world really does kind of rotate on this, doesn't it? And our lives and our ups and downs, our faith and our trust, it, it all comes down to a simple piece of paper. I couldn't help but think this past week as I was even just looking at a simple dollar bill, and you can find the same on your money too. Maybe you've got some 20s. There's one little phrase on the back of this bill that I think is so important. It's the phrase that says, in God we trust. And maybe this morning you can kind of remove that we pronoun and replace it with just the you. Or change it to a question. Do I trust God? Do I trust God with my finances? Do I trust Him that if I give, that He'll do a great work in me? And as I trust Him, my faith in Him will continue to increase. But more importantly than that, I hope you'll ask yourself the question this morning as it applies to your life. Do I trust God? Do I trust God enough that when He promised that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die, that that forgiveness was enough for me too? Because it is. And if you're here today and you're looking to hear that message, we want you to hear it, that Jesus Christ died for you. He gave his life for you. And at the end of the service this morning, I'll be down here, and some of our elders will be down here, and we'd love to talk with you more about that. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you right now for the work that you're doing in our lives, how you continually provide, how you never give up on us, and no matter what we may do, no matter how we might mess things up in our life from time to time with finances, God, that you're always there to receive us back. Father God, I pray that you would be with that person or that family here this morning, Lord, who desires to get to a better place financially to enjoy that freedom. God, would you give them the wisdom and the determination to do just that. And God, I also pray for, for that person here this morning who's asking that question right now, do I trust God? God, would you show them that they can? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.